that our yes isn't yes and our no isn't no. And we should live our lives in such a way that we don't need to make promises. I, I swear on my kids. I swear on my mom. I swear on this. I swear on that. We shouldn't have to do any of that because people should know that when we speak, our words have weight, that we do what we say, that we say what we mean. You are probably familiar with that TV courtroom scene where the witness stands before the court with their hand on the Bible and swears to tell the truth. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that God wants you to tell truth without having to swear in. In this study, you'll see that you should strive for integrity with your words and actions. When people can count on the things you say, you reflect the character of God to those around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 6 as he continues his message, Blessings. God provides the fruit of the vine, and so there is a voluntary separation from any of the fruits of the vine for this period of consecration, right? So there is a a drink, a food prohibition. And then, of course, when you get to verse 5, look at what it says. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head, until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. Now, no, I am not under a Nazarite vow. I like my peanut butter and jelly. Thank you very much. But some, every once in a while when someone, you know, because st- I still get those, you know, like, oh, man, how can you be a pastor and you have that hair? And I say, I'm a Nazarite. You got to, like, what's that? I'm like, oh, you got to read your Bible instead of judging me. Actually, I don't really say that. I want to say that, though, because God's doing a work in my life. But there was this consecration. Now, you can imagine, because having your hair growing all wild wasn't the most common thing in that day, even though people had their hair longer in that culture than they did now, the idea was no razors shall come up on your head. So not only was the beard growing, but the hair was growing for the guys, the hair was growing for the gals. And it was a sign of, I am... I am just letting myself be in the presence of God as God would make me. And you have to realize that, that all of our grooming is all us trying to be different than we were made naturally. You know that, right? Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to do it. And I'm not saying that you ladies, that you shouldn't paint the house if it needs painting or whatever. You know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't shave if you have a splotchy beard or whatever. But the idea here is is they're, they're letting themselves be as God made them. And for this period, it doesn't have to be for all the time, but for this period, no hair was to be cut at all. And it was allowed to remain relatively unkept. Because the idea here is you're focusing on something different. You're focusing on the relationship with God as opposed to maybe the more superficial parts of life. So there is the separation from any sort of grooming in that way. Now, of course, 
In verse 6, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die because the separation to God is upon his head. Now, I think we all primarily, unless it's our job, have a personal prohibition against touching dead bodies, right? But remember, in this culture, if you were to touch a dead body, you were considered ceremonially unclean. We've studied that a lot, haven't we? And I keep making the point that part of that was to curb the spread of disease as if a body is dead or if there is a a corpse that is rotting that could spread disease and God was concerned about the health of the people. But here we see that it's not just a general don't touch a dead body. It's like if you have this vow that you've set yourself apart for the Lord, even if a father or a mother or a brother or sister, even your nearest of kin, if they were to die because of the vow that you've made, you are not to engage in that part of your family. So this is not a small thing. In that culture, when somebody died, like a lot in our culture, there's a big deal that gets made about it. And so this is saying, it's like, remember when Aaron's sons died? Didn't God tell Moses, listen, I do not want you to wail or mourn. Now you can imagine, because of the place that he was a priest, and he was not supposed to mourn for his sons, because it was unbecoming of the witness of the priests. Same kind of idea here. Even if your nearest of kin were to die, you do not defile yourselves by touching their body. Very unique. It was out of context with the culture. Again, why? Because they're separated unto the Lord. Now look at what happens in verse 9. It says, But if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now, it's interesting because you can imagine there's these prohibitions and imagine all of a sudden he's working or he's doing something and somebody dies and he touches them. What do I do now? And we have this whole ritual that if in the midst of their consecration, in the midst of their vows, somebody dies, again, the first thing he does is he shaves his head on the seventh day after he touches it. It's the day of cleansing. And then there is all of the different rituals. On the eighth day after the head gets shaved, then there's all the different. There's the sin offering and there's the trespass offering. There's all these different animals offered to cover the breaking of his vow. Right? And then he starts over again. So the idea here is that if you don't complete your vow, God still wants you to take care of it. Now, at this point, I think it makes sense because some of them say, well, okay, so what's up with all these vows? What did Jesus say about vows? Anybody remember? She just said, don't make vows. Why? Because our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And anything else is from the what? From the evil one. So Jesus said, don't make vows. Because what he's saying is that our lives should have so much integrity that we don't need to make a vow. How many times has somebody said, oh, you know, like you say, oh, this thing, and you're like, 
oh, no, and they don't believe me. You're like, oh, I swear to God. Now, I know you guys don't say that because you're good church people. But I swear, I swear, right? That is an implication that our yes isn't yes and our no isn't no. And we should live our lives in such a way that we don't need to make promises. I, I swear on my kids. I swear on my mom. I swear on this. I swear on that. We shouldn't have to do any of that because people should know that when we speak, our words have weight. That we do what we say. That we say what we mean. That if we make a commitment, we follow through on those things. Jesus said we don't need to make vows. But people did. There's provisions for it. But Jesus reminds us, you don't need to make a vow. Just follow the Lord and be a person of integrity. But so if there's an accidental death, there's this whole thing that goes on. Now, in verse 13, we kind of get the completion ritual here. It says, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall present his offerings to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering... One ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering. One ram without blemish as a peace offering. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord, offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord with the baskets of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it onto the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated head. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy for the priest, together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is verse 21. The law of the Nazarite, who vows to the Lord an offering for his separation. Besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes, he must do according to the law of his separation. Now, don't miss this. So imagine there's a person who wants to be consecrated to the Lord. They want to really grow, and so they, they say, I'm not going to have any of the fruit of the vine. There's going to be no drink. There's going to be no grape juice. There's going to be no prunes, raisins, all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not going to take care of my hair. It's just going to be growing, and then I'm not going to touch any dead bodies, and if a family member dies, I love you, and I loved you when, when you were alive, but I can't go near you because I have this consecration to the Lord, and by the time it's over, in order for the vow to end, there's all these offerings. Now, if you weren't here when we did the book of Leviticus, we went over every single one of these offerings, how they function, what they mean. And so I'll refer you back to the studies that we did in our series in the beginning of the book of Leviticus because we dealt with every one. There's a chapter on each one, so there's a message on each one, how it works. But don't miss this, that when the person was done with their consecration, they offered all sorts of offerings that all had to do with the cleansing of sin. Now, why do I bring this up? Because sometimes... People who love the Lord and say, I'm consecrated for the Lord, they start to think that they don't make any mistakes. 
spiritual self-righteousness starts to take over. Right, where all of a sudden it's like, I've been walking real strong with the Lord, and now I just think that I don't really need Jesus because I'm so consecrated. You ever met someone like that? Don't hit your spouse. Listen, I've been around church long enough. I've met a lot of people who are more spiritual than Jesus. At least they think so. A lot of people like that. But after this great vow of consecration, where all this stuff goes on, you are still a sinner in need of a savior. And that's an important lesson because I think what happens is is when we start to walk strong with the Lord, oftentimes Satan kind of gets us off into this place of pride and vanity where we think we're better than other people or more holy than other people. And then other people, you really need to listen to me because I got it all together. And the gospel says that just ain't reality. What I've learned is that the people who truly walk with Jesus, they are humble because each and every day they realize their absolute need for salvation. Every single day they say, man, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the fact that God still loves me still blows my mind. See, our hearts are like an onion. There's always another layer. Sometimes God's dealing with these big things and sometimes he's dealing with these big things, but they're really subtle. And if you walk in the light as he is in the light, if you walk with the God of all creation who is perfect, you can never think that you got it together. Because no matter how much you grow, you're like, man, I am so not together. But it would be really easy. Imagine someone's like, oh, I'm going to do a five-year Nazarite vow. Right? And so for five years, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. I can't have any of that wine. I got a Nazarite vow and got great dreads at that point. I overlooked the whole locks thing. But, you know, you got this great head of hair, you know, and they haven't touched any d- dead bodies and they're set apart for the Lord. Right? You can imagine somebody at that point just thinking that they're big stuff in God's kingdom. When really, if we're truly set apart for God, the only person who we think is big stuff is Jesus. Because Jesus is big stuff. Jesus is the one, if you walk with God, that you're like, man, God's grace is so awesome because God would love me. And that God could see all that's in my heart and all the mistakes that I've made. And he knows all the mistakes that we're going to make. And he still loves us. And he's still for us. And he still believes in us. So it's amazing that once this thing is over, before he even gets or she gets to even cut her hair, there's a whole extensive set of offerings for sin and trespass and all these things that need to happen. Just to remind you that at the end of your vow, you're still somebody who needs God's forgiveness. And listen, I'm here to tell you, as people who love the Lord, and I'm going to assume that the majority of you here, you love the Lord. You have to fight against self-righteousness every day. It's like, remember Bartimaeus who was blind, who Jesus gave his sight to? My heart breaks when I find people who God has healed who will look at someone who God hasn't and look down on them. It's like blind Bartimaeus who God has given sight being mad at everybody who's blind. See, the only reason Bartimaeus had sight is because he met with Jesus. And because he met with Jesus, Jesus touched him and healed him. It's not us versus you. It's we're all together. The only difference is when Jesus reached out his hand in our direction, we reached back. Our healing is sheer grace. 
sheer grace. And we have to be careful because what Satan, I believe, loves to do with a sinner who's repented is turn them into a critic simply because God gave them the grace to respond to his love. We should be the most compassionate and generous of spirit people because God has been so radically patient with us. But you know what the problem with self-righteousness that I found? Is that oftentimes we're the last people to see it. We're blind to our own self-righteousness. And my brothers, listen. My sisters, listen. It's the self-righteousness of God's kids who they forgave that is pushing people away from Jesus. The studies that are coming out about the way people who don't know Jesus, how they view Christianity, almost always it's self-righteous and judgmental. When, if you think about it, I would love to say, oh, they're wrong. They're not wrong. Sometimes we can be self-righteous and judgmental, but if you think about the gospel, we are not righteous. Jesus is, and he shares it with us. And we believe that God is the judge, and we are not. So you see how we get crooked a little bit, don't we? And listen, Jesus died on the cross for that too for us. And we need to come to him and say, God, I want you to take away my self-righteousness. I want you to take away my judgmentalism because you're the true judge. And the judge of all creation will judge rightly. And God, the only righteousness that I have is the Jesus' righteousness that you share with me by faith. That's the only righteousness we have. And when we stay there, then I believe that God can truly pour his spirit through us. Why? Because no one will try and take credit for what God's doing. But we got to do battle. And I, and I, I was so blown away. I'm like, man, after this great consecration, you get to think, man, this person's so close to the Lord. It's like, well, listen, you got to give all these offerings. And you got to realize that the extensiveness of this offering was also a financial hardship for most people. This was not like a cheap offering. It was like that whole thing cost a lot of money. So not only was there things you shouldn't eat, things you shouldn't do with your, your body, but there was also a financial cost to this as well. Because this whole extensive set of offerings was, in that culture, as it would be today, very, very expensive. But you notice that between how you look, what you eat, what you get yourself involved in, your resources, you start to realize that consecration unto the Lord is holistic, isn't it? Consecration unto the Lord is holistic. It involves the totality of who we are, not just sections of who we are. Now, that's, that's tough, isn't it? We're coming out of a, a generation or a time when people were like, I believe in Jesus, so I... Christianity is my spiritual box, but my Christianity doesn't inform the way I live my life every day, how I do my business. It doesn't inform how I raise my family. It doesn't inform how I spend my money. It doesn't inform for how I steward my body and all these things. But true Christianity is holistic. It informs everything that we do. The finished work of Jesus is designed to inform every single part of our lives. And I think we need to ask ourselves, God, what are the areas of my life that I will not allow the death and resurrection of Jesus to inform? And you know what I find when I do that, ask that question? There's always some areas. The way that I think about this person, 
the way that I choose to what I'm going to be entertained by, the way that I spend my resources, the way that I think about this issue that's a big issue that I'm wondering about. God, if he is the Lord, needs to inform every area of our lives. Our consecration needs to be total and not specific. It needs to be complete and holistic. And for all of us, I believe that there's encouragement and a challenge there, isn't there? That's why I was talking with Pastor Bill about this. I said, you know, in everybody's life, there's always something, right? One area is strong, another area is, man, that's a kind of a train wreck. And I've kind of found that, that in almost everybody's life, there's always, there's that one thing that just isn't together. And we struggle with those areas. And so listen, and Pastor Bill's like, yeah, he's like, in, in, in my years of walking with the Lord, I've always found there's, there's always some area that needs God's grace to prop up. So I believe for all of us, every single one of us here, every single one of us who's watching online or checking this out, what's those areas that we struggle to let God put under his authority. And just simply come to him and just confess it. Just agree with God. God, I struggle to let you be Lord in this area. And God, I want you to do a work. I want you to do a work. One final note on the Nazarite vow. I love the phrase, their consecrated head. Brothers and sisters, you need to be consecrated heads. That, that word consecration means to set apart. It's what the Nazarite, that word actually means, to be set apart. And your head should be set apart. We should think with the thoughts of Christ. We should meditate on good things and beautiful things and praiseworthy things. And you should see your head, which is what leads around your body. You should see it as set apart for the Lord. And I want you to feel free to call each other consecrated heads. Just like, you're a consecrated head. You're blessing God. So when you see me later, if you think so, you say, Fusco, you're a consecrated head. I just, I just thought the phrase was super cool. Being, make a great name for a Christian uh, speed metal band. Consecrated head, you musicians. But I thought the phrase was noteworthy. Jesus is The reality is that in this life, you'll never have it all together. Though you will grow and change, you'll continue to mess up. In today's study, Pastor Daniel pointed out that several sin offerings were required at the end of a person's Nazarite vow. This is because even when you're following hard after God, you'll keep screwing up in big and small ways. But isn't it great that God knows how broken you are and still wants a deep relationship with you? I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen.
For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will invite you to explore God's healing. You'll learn that Jesus reaches out to you and you just need to reach back. When you live in the reality that you've been rescued, you'll grow in compassion and the willingness to forgive others. Instead of self-righteousness, your life will be marked with humility and gratitude because you remember what God has done for you. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Camp. Until then, may God bless.